the kids are getting married, and it's a glorious thing to see and to celebrate together. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I have to tell you, there are some mornings when I wake up and there is nothing in the world that I would rather do than preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people that I love the most. And here we are. And it occurs to me that as eager as we are to hear from the Lord today, he is even more eager in his great kindness to meet with us as he has been ministering to us during our singing and during our prayers, so he will continue to minister to us through the preaching of his word. 1 Peter chapter 1, our sermon text today is verses 3 through 5. I'd like to invite you to stand, if you are able, for the reading of God's word. I'll also repeat the introduction in the first two verses that we saw last week. This is God's holy and authoritative word, beginning in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Trust now you see my eagerness to preach the word of God. What a text, and may God bless the preaching of his word. You may be seated. Earlier this summer, there was a story, I'm sure many of you heard, it was a story that inspired millions of people. Jane Marchowski is a joy-filled, radiant, 30-year-old singer and songwriter with a beautiful voice who auditioned on America's Got Talent. Jane is a Christian, and when she sang earlier this summer, she introduced herself as Nightbird. And she explained in an interview uh, the context and significance of that name. It was a few weeks before covid that she was diagnosed with terminal cancer and given a 2% chance of surviving. It was a few days after that diagnosis that her husband decided to walk away from their marriage. 
It was during this dark period of time that she heard birds singing outside her bedroom window at night. Uh, As she tells the story, the first two times were dreams. The third time ended up being real. And she said, the birds were singing as if it was morning, but there was really no sign of the light yet. And I hoped to embody that. Being somebody that could sing through a dark time because I was so full of hope and assurance that there would be a morning. And there was this moment where one of the judges uh, told her nobody would ever know that she was dealing with cancer. And Nightbird replied, thank you. It's important that everybody knows that I'm so much more than the bad things that happened to me. One of the reasons that story resonated so deeply with Americans, uh, capturing national attention, is that the condition of the world today is one of pervasive hopelessness. Uh, Depression and anxiety are on the rise. Fear and outrage are everywhere. Christians are like nightbird. We too are full of hope. We too understand that in Christ we are so much more than the bad things that happen to us. But it is so easy to grow hopeless in dark times. When we suffer physically, when we are mistreated, when society uh, seems to be losing its mind, when Christians are maligned and mistreated, these are the moments that the God of hope wants his elect exiles to shine with a living hope. I wonder, are you a person of hope? Does your soul go on singing through dark times? The reality is it matters a lot to God that your view of your life and your view of the future is marked by the presence of joy-filled hope. When we are suffering, when our culture declines, when empires fall, the people of God are called by God to view the entire situation from the perspective of Christian hope. We know that life in a fallen world is full of tears, yet we must not be devastated and we must not be driven to despair. God wants us to arrive at that place where we don't get bent out of shape at the fault of cultural opposition. He wants us to arrive at that place even where we don't panic and despair in the face of a cancer diagnosis. Even though we walk Through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. That is the testimony of so many saints in this church sitting in this room today. How is it possible? It is because God has given us a living hope in Christ. And he's calling us to remember, to celebrate, to live in the good of that great living hope today. After the introduction in verses 1 and 2, 1 Peter begins with doxology, that is a declaration of praise to the Lord. Verse 3, blessed be 
the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a declaration of joy. It is an expression of rejoicing. And it is a call for all the people of God to join in blessing the name of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, does your heart rejoice in God today? This is Peter's starting point because doxology, praise, is the foundation of the entire Christian life. The only way we survive in this dark world is the presence of praise, rejoicing, blessed be. We suffer, yet we rejoice. We are exiles, yet we rejoice. We have enemies, yet we rejoice. Blessed be is our anthem and our song. And it is such a happy and glorious thing when in some moment during the week or in the midst of some great trial, the blessed be of praise rises up and overflows in our hearts. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Really what we have in this opening chapter is all of verses three through 12 is explaining why God is worthy of blessing and honor. What is the reason behind the blessed be of our praise? Well, we praise him for who he is. He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we praise him for what he has done. He has acted, verse 3 says, according to his great mercy. Not just according to his mercy, you see, according to his great mercy which is good news for great sinners like me because the only way that I can be forgiven of my many sins, my great sin, is if there is a great mercy to cover all my sin. God sets our minds on his mercy. He reminds us that he has dealt with us not according to our sins, but according to his mercy. And this is the thought that inspires the blessed be of praise in our lives. A Christian who is not living a life of praise is a Christian who has lost sight of the mercy of God. The more we know of his great mercy, the louder the blessed be of praise that emerges from our souls. God, according to his great mercy, has done so much for us. We'll look at three of them that are described and celebrated in verses three through five. Each one of these points, and we'll take a verse in each one of the points, changes our view of the future and gives us hope in Christ. Let's look at what God has done. He is to be blessed according to his great mercy. What has he done? One, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. This is verse three. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. To be born again refers to the doctrine of regeneration and to our new life in Christ. Jesus talked uh, about being born again in John chapter three in his conversation with Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus was a moral man. He's a religious leader. But Jesus says, you cannot enter the kingdom unless you are born again. I was thinking about this. One of the interesting things about being born is that you can't take any credit for it. None of us made the decision to be born. <laughs> being born is not something that 
we did. And so to be born again is not something that we do in pursuing God. It is God acting upon us. To be born again is God acting in the heart of sinners who are blind and want nothing to do with him, who do not see and know truth and this world for what it is. But God works in such a way that our eyes are opened and we are made new in Christ. To be born again is to be given new affections. It's to be given a new identity. And especially Peter emphasizes here, to be born again is to be given a new future. We have been born again to a living hope. Our hope is alive. All hope apart from Christ is a dead hope. It is a hope that will disappoint, a hope that will not last. All hope in this life, the way of the masses, the way that so many people all around us are living, placing their hope, basing their lives, on the economy, on their marital status, on health, on politics, all of it is ultimately a dead hope. We have a living hope, and here, Peter says, is the foundation of our hope. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So there is a past event that secures our future hope. We sang of it earlier. Here's your freedom. Christ is risen. Death in vain forbids him to rise. The, death could, the grave could not hold him, but he rose to new life. And our future, therefore, as believers is grounded, hear this, not in optimism, but in resurrection in historical fact, in what Christ has done. Jesus lives and so shall I. Because Christ is alive, our hope is alive. That's the basis of our living hope. Ed Clowney says, our hope is anchored in the past, Jesus rose. Our hope remains in the present, Jesus lives. Our hope is completed in the future, Jesus is coming. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a part of that message of first importance, the gospel, and it changes everything. Do you remember how radically the apostle Peter who wrote this was changed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ? During his life before the resurrection, you remember in those final moments, he acted like a coward. He denied his savior three times. And then at the death of Christ, he was dejected. He was hopeless. He was despairing. He was fearful. But then he heard the news of the empty tomb from the women who reported it. And you remember it's told in the gospels, he went running to the tomb and he saw the proof of it with his own eyes. John, another disciple, uh, outran him and recorded it in scripture for the ages, uh, just so that Peter knows his place. 
But Peter, we're told, was the first one that he went into the tomb ahead of John. He had seen Jesus die. He had seen the empty tomb. And Jesus would later appear to him in the upper room. And the result is that Peter's life is changed and he is given a living hope. He is soon seen preaching in the book of Acts, declaring the resurrection of Christ, declaring the renewal of all things. And it says in Acts 4, remember this once this man who once gave into fear, gave into cowardice. It says in Acts 4, the religious leaders of the temple were greatly annoyed because Peter was proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And he was questioned. He was threatened. But Peter was a man on fire. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit whose heart burned with the living hope of the gospel. And when they saw the boldness of this uneducated and common man, we're told they were astonished. He was not only threatened, he would later be beaten, but he declared and stood fast in the hope of Christ. And now one who knows what it is to suffer shares with others who are enduring hardship, who are maligned and mistreated, who are suffering exiles, God has caused us to be born again. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Second glorious thing that God has done according to his mercy. This is in verse four. He has secured a heavenly inheritance for us. Heavenly inheritance. I read an article about a homeless man in Bolivia. He's referred to as the millionaire who did not know his fortune. And in the article it said, there is no doubt that living in the streets for an extended period of time can take a toll on any person, making them paranoid and fearful of the authorities. It is therefore no surprise that Tomas Martinez, a 67-year-old homeless man in the streets of Bolivia, had the impulse to flee from the police as they tried to approach him to tell him the news that he inherited $6 million from a distant relative. After that first run-in with the police, he was never found again, despite numerous attempts by the media and by charities to locate him. He disappeared without a trace, supposedly living in the streets in poverty, leading newspapers to speak of him has, as a new millionaire, paradoxically not knowing his fortune. We have an inheritance. We have a fortune. And too often as believers, we are unaware and live unaware of our inheritance, like a millionaire who does not know his fortune. Our hope, when the Bible talks about hope, this is not a wish our hope is a certainty that as God's born again children, as the children of God, there is an inheritance that awaits us, that makes all the difference in the Christian life. Now, this language of inheritance is rich with Old Testament meaning where inheritance had the promised land in view. That inheritance, however, the land was ravaged by enemies, was ruined by the sin and impurity of God's people. The land of Canaan proved to be perishable and defiled and faded. And isn't that exactly what marks all the treasures of this world? 
how quickly glory fades and beauty perishes, blessings are defiled by sin. Here in verse four, we are reminded that we have an inheritance that is, and three words are used, imperishable, it will not die or decay. Undefiled, it cannot be ruined by sin or impurity. And unfading, it's not going to be destroyed over time. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. One commentator says that this inheritance is untouched by death, unstained by evil, unimpaired by time. This is your inheritance. And then comes that glorious phrase, kept in heaven for you. I read what Kathleen Nelson said about this phrase and wanted to share it with you because I was so affected by it and believe it will minister to you. Uh, Kathleen Nelson says that phrase, kept in heaven for you, should make us take a deep breath. God is keeping this inheritance for us. She says, we spend our lives trying to keep things, to keep things safe, to keep things from being spoiled. And not just things such as money and houses and clothes and food, all that is hard enough, but people. We try to keep children safe and sound, our elderly parents, our own bodies. Oh, how hard we work to keep our bodies from fading, from being defiled by people who would harm us, ultimately from perishing. We spend a lot of energy trying to keep many things. Ultimately, we can't. But she says, here's the hope, and this is the hope that God has for us today. Here's the hope. This inheritance of life forever with Jesus is kept in heaven for us. And she says, God is the perfect keeper. We have an inheritance that will never perish, that will never be defiled, that will never fade away. And God himself is keeping it in heaven for you. So you wanna know what your future is. You wanna know how to look at the days ahead. This changes everything. This heavenly inheritance should be such a great encouragement to those who have little in this world. You have no great riches. You have no money in the stock market, no savings, no earthly inheritance. You have in Christ a heavenly inheritance that far outweighs all of the riches of this world. Take the world, give me Jesus and the inheritance that is found in him. This inheritance is a comfort to those who fear the future to those who feel the insecurity of life in this world. Here is something unshakable. Here is something unchanging. When everything in your life gives way, this inheritance remains. It's not going anywhere. It's kept by God for you in heaven. This inheritance should also teach us to not overvalue the things of this earth. Peter would have heard Jesus teach, that teaching in Matthew chapter six, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. There are so many Christians 
dreaming about bigger, nicer things. We want better homes. We want better vacations, better education, better entertainment. We are naturally skilled at storing up treasures on earth. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. There, moth and rust destroy. Their thieves break in and steal. It's not gonna last. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's, this is what it means to be a people of hope. We are citizens of heaven and our hearts are set on heaven. We long for the day that Christ returns. We long for the fullness of the inheritance. We know that glory awaits all God's redeemed. And we long for that experience described at the end of the story in Revelation 21, where we are told, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It's the inheritance, it belongs to you. God has secured this heavenly inheritance for you. And then third, according to his great mercy, he is to be blessed because he has promised to guard us by his great power. He's promised to guard us by his great power. It's verse five. So verse three, a living hope. Verse four, a heavenly inheritance. Verse five, spiritual protection. Because at this point, we might be tempted to think this inheritance sounds great, but what if I don't make it? What if I don't receive it? How can we know we're going to make it to that day? And so in verse five, what God wants us to know, what God wants us to rest in the good of is that his power, not your power, <laughs> thank God, his power is guarding us through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, not only is the inheritance being kept, verse four, the recipients of the inheritance are also being kept and guarded by God's power. God says, I am keeping the inheritance for you and I am keeping you secure on earth until that final day. You are being guarded. You are being shielded, protected by God himself and all how we need to be guarded because we face dangers of many kinds. This is life in a fallen world. How does God's power protect us? Understand this. What does it mean that you're protected and guarded by God? Not by keeping us from suffering, but by preserving our faith in the midst of suffering. By God's power, you are being guarded, verse five says, through faith. I'm telling you the greatest threat that we face is not cultural opposition, it is unbelief. It is the absence of faith because we are sustained by faith. 
But our gracious God wants us to know that just as he has saved us, according to his great mercy, according to his power, so he will sustain us according to that same power, according to the riches of that same mercy. He is a God who delights to guard. He's a God who delights to sustain our faith. One of my favorite illustrations of this is in John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress. I've shared it before and I will share it again before my time is through. The main character, Christian, stops by the interpreter's house. The interpreter takes Christian into a room where there's a fireplace. We're told that the flames from the fireplace grew larger and hotter, even though there was someone continually throwing water on it, trying to quench it. Christian said, what does this mean? And the interpreter said, this fire is the work of transformation and growth in grace that God works in the heart. The one throwing the water on the flames, trying to extinguish it, is the devil. But as you see, the flame burns higher and hotter despite his efforts to put it out. Then he says, now let me show you the reason for that. And so the interpreter takes Christian to the other side of the wall where he saw a man with a vessel of oil in his hand from which he secretly funneled oil into the fire. Christian asks, what does this mean? The interpreter says, this is Christ who continually with the oil of his grace maintains, maintains the work already begun in the heart. No matter what the devil tries to do, the gracious work that Christ is doing in the souls of his people only increases. And he says, you saw that the man stood behind the wall to maintain the fire. That is to teach you that it is hard for the one being tempted to see how this work of grace is maintained in the soul. Some of you are having a hard time seeing it today. You're having a, a hard time seeing how the work of grace, how ongoing faith is maintained in your soul and you fear that the fires of your faith will be extinguished through Satan's attacks. God would have you know today that he is for you. God would have you remember that he has not abandoned you. His power is preserving your faith and thereby protecting and guarding your soul. He has promised it. Listen, this is a, a theological point that is so important for us to understand. The Bible does not teach that if you are saved, you will go on being saved even if you abandon faith in Christ. Some people say, well, I did this back in the past and even though I don't have faith presently, I'm not walking with Christ, I'm saved because of what I did way back then. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that if you are truly saved, you will go on being saved because the unlimited power of God will preserve and sustain your faith even through suffering until we experience the fullness of our salvation when Christ returns. A salvation, Peter says, ready to be revealed in the last time. God has promised to you in Christ to guard you by his great power. I want the band to return to the stage if I can ask. And I need to make something clear before I close here. The Bible does not teach that everyone has this living hope. Did you know that? There are some, scripture says, who are without hope. And Ephesians chapter five says, have no inheritance. 
Who are the ones who have no hope? Who are the ones who have no inheritance? These are those who are not trusting in Christ for their salvation. And friends, it must be understood. If you are relying on your own good works and religious performance to try to earn the gift of heaven and acceptance with God, if you're relying on your own good works, you think I'm a good person, so I'll get to heaven. The reality is that you will only receive judgment. Because we have all sinned against a holy God and are deserving, myself included, what do I deserve? Deserving of his righteous wrath. Christ came into this world to die in the place of sinners, to shed his blood that we might be forgiven and accepted by God. And he rose from the dead so that we might be saved and given a living hope that comes through his name alone. If you have not trusted in him for salvation, put your faith in him today. Turn from your sin and you will experience this gift of hope and the inheritance and being protected by God and everlasting life that is yours in Christ Jesus. And if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, oh my, this verse calls us to so much. Take a deep breath. Consider once again, what God in his great mercy has done for you. We spend so much of our time thinking about the difficulties and trials of life. That is not the starting point for Peter. He's going to address that even later in chapter one, because this is a suffering people. But the starting point is blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Consider what God has done for you. Set your mind here. He has caused you to be born again. He has given you a living hope in Christ. He has secured an eternal inheritance for you. And he has promised your spiritual protection from now until that final day. There is only one thing left to say. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be his name. Blessed be the God of mercy. Blessed be this God who gave his son for us. This God who has given us a living hope. You are the object of divine mercy. You have been given a hope that will never die. You have been given victory over death. You have been given the forgiveness of all your sins. You've been given life everlasting by this God of mercy. In this world, yes, we're going to have hardships. Yes, we're going to have suffering and sorrow. But still we declare, blessed be, right? Like a night bird. We will go on singing in the darkest times and nothing will silence the blessed be of our souls. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise his name, amen.